Hello and welcome back to the Miscast, where we examine the latest news, spicy brews, and strategy in CDH. I am your host, Drake Sasser, and with me today is Marchesa Tournament Organizer, Mikey Hollohan. How you doing today? Doing swell. Um, work wasn't too bad, and now things are starting to wind down because I'm starting the new job in about a week and a half, so... Just kind of just like finishing out some projects and not really getting too much new work, which is nice. <laughs> nice. You got that, you got that, uh, changing job senioritis going on. That always happens to me where it's like, I change a job and then for the last week, it's like actively an uphill battle for me to care about any of the work. It's like, it's literally not going to be my problem next week. How am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do here? Are you kidding me? That's definitely part of it. And like before I put in my two weeks, like, you know, cause I, I've had more chase on my calendar for like two months. So yeah. I already have Thursday and Friday off this week and Monday. And then my last day is the 30th. So, like, I am literally, like, almost done at this point. Yeah, you're just I wasn't so going to go back out. and be like, oh, like, I put in my two weeks and because I got this new job. And now I got to take back this vacation time I requested off, like, way in advance. So I'm just in this weird spot where, like, my manager's just kind of like, yeah, it seems like you're kind of done. It's not really, I can't really give you more work because that's just not really fair. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just, uh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for being here. <laughs> Go ahead and, uh, see you later, I guess. No, I, I, I do enjoy those last few weeks. It's just like, you're so ready and hyped to get started <laughs> on the new job and do the new thing. And yeah, it's super awesome. Exactly. Well, uh, SCG Con Indie was, uh, over the weekend. I know you, uh, were thinking about attending, uh, eventually decided not to go. But I did attend SCG Con Indie over the weekend. Did you do anything fun instead in place? Did you watch any of the flesh and blood coverage that was for SCG on the SCG channel? Uh, I didn't tune into any of the SCG streams, <laughs> but um, Josh over at Elder Drunken Highlander, he did his Ukraine charity stream on Saturday. That's right. I, that's right. Yeah, so I played in that, um, hung out there, you know, made some donations and everything. It was a really cool cause, and Josh is just awesome. So it was a really fun time. And then the day after that, um, Josh helps me organize another little like giveaway stream where he like made some foil peels for like some people in our play group that we play with regularly. And then I was just, uh, basically auctioning off cards. So it was like people would get into a pot. I was like, okay, this one you're playing for an intuition or you're playing for whatever. So I was able to give out like, it was like six or seven cards out. And it was just nice because like you, we all awesome. play really regularly and just having like a small little stake where no one had any buy in, but you still get something cool. Um, definitely led to like some really good games and crazy stacks and people had a good time. And, Josh was just working on foil peels the whole time, and he was just giving those away. So it was just a nice little, very relaxing Sunday stream. People just playing games, hanging out, and we literally had like twenty people in voice chat, where only one, per, one only four of them were in the game. The rest of us were just chilling, and so it was really cool, very relaxing, nice way to spend my Sunday. Yeah, it's like it's like a little like uh, like a cookout or something with all the CDH people just in Discord, just hanging out, jamming some games. That seems like a really good time. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, people were actually playing for something. Like nothing. The most, the craziest card was an intuition, which went, ended up going to Ian. Um, nice. But the rest of them, you know, it wasn't anything like too crazy. They're all like you know forty, fifty dollar cards, but it's still just nice playing for something. It just gives yeah, you that. Yeah, there's something more at all. Yeah, that's super cool to have something on the line. That's super, super sick. Mm-hmm. Of course, Ashani won most of them. <laughs> as as that tends to go, Ashani is a very talented competitive EDH player. So, yeah, so he, I he do not find that surprising. <laughs> he's just farming us all day. Even but he doesn't even play farm, he plays Hulk. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, no, that's that's not surprising. Shiny's been on a roll recently, and I mean obviously he's just a very talented magic player, so uh, mm-hmm. very cool to to get in pods with him. Yeah, so it sounds like you had a nice relaxing weekend. Uh I had a pretty wild weekend, a lot of weird stuff going on. We uh you know as you know, Beck is 
truck had a catalytic converter cut off it so that was a little bit of a crisis we had uh we, we didn't get in till 4 a.m on uh i guess it was technically saturday morning we left friday but there was like a tornado warning on the way or whatever and then we got stopped by like a horrible accident that the cops hadn't even shown up to yet so we got to you know move out the way as the cops and all the emergency vehicles drove by and we just sat there and for like a solid like whatever like 45 minutes or something so between that and you know the the tornado thing it just like pushed our eta back a ton ended up getting like i think our original eta was like 1 a.m we got into indy at 4 a.m and it was just like okay cool tournament starts at 9 a.m uh so if you do the quick maths that's uh not a lot of sleep so i went into day one with like three hours three and a half hours of sleep or something uh going to play a team magic tournament which i normally wouldn't obviously care like that much but literally i have i have two other team members i teamed with ivan espinosa who's from california and flew out to indy and zach allen who he had a, a fairly reasonable drive from michigan but still like these are two extremely talented players that um you know, I, have, I have aspirations of doing well in the tournament so me being on three and a half hours of sleep not the best start uh but you know it did end up making day two and then uh Obviously, all the catalytic converter stuff got resolved for the most part. We at least made it back home, even if we had to stay an extra day. And, uh, yeah, we ended up making the elimination rounds, which is, is weird. It was like a 13-round tournament. All, so all the other SCG ones I've played, I think, have been the full 15 rounds uh, still with the cut to top eight, like top eight teams. So, like, they basically were structured the same way that old SCG Opens were. But this one was, like, eight rounds day one with, like, a six and two as the cut. And then day two was five rounds with a cut to top six, but it still plays out like a, a elimination, like single elimination eight person thing. It's just the the people that got first and second seed get a buy. So first and second get a buy in top eight, and then uh, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth play the quarterfinals, and then there's a normal semifinals finals. Um, so that was like kind of a neat little structure, I guess. Um, just deleting the seventh and eighth position and auto giving first and second an auto win, but it did mean less teams made the elimination rounds to try to win the tournament. So, uh, we made it at sixth place exactly on breakers. <laughs> um, there was a lot of 10 pointers. I think they went down to like 10th, maybe 11th place. So there was a lot of, a lot of teams at 10 three and we made it in on breakers and had a swift exit in the quarterfinals, but still, it was like, I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's always feels really good to make the elimin elimination rounds of like a 900 person tournament. It's a, Super, super yeah, awesome. Yeah, making top six or whatever it was for that is definitely very impressive and something to be pretty proud of, you know. I, I definitely am, especially after being out of it for so long, right? Like, this is my first tournament in how long? <laughs> or, like, first major, like, real tournament. I guess I played SCG Con, like, the Invitational last year and bombed out of that pretty hard. I day two, I guess, but, like, I think my final record was something like eight and eight. It's like something terrible. But, uh, you know, to, to rally back, be able to play this tournament and... You know, I, my personal record was great, and, like, I love the deck I played. I posted it on my Twitter. It's, I think my current pin post is my decklist and sideboard guide from Indy. If you if you like Pioneer, check that out. Follow me on Twitter if you haven't already, et cetera, et cetera, shill, shill. But, no, for real, like, I had an awesome time. The magic was was really, really fun, and just about the only thing that went right on the weekend was, was the magic. So, I mean, big weekend for me, though. Big weekend. Yeah, fair enough. Love, love two-day magic tournaments. Uh, hope to be able to play more of those in the future but it's not looking that optimistic at the moment but that's why you know that's why i've transitioned more into cdh anyway it's a, a nice space to be with plenty of great people to play with and talk to which brings me to you know you've had a week we didn't make an episode last week much to our fans dismay they're in shambles i'm sure 
Um, are you working on anything in the CDH sphere at the moment? Uh, nothing specific. Um, still, like, been tinkering with, like, some short Kai stuff and helping someone, like, tune that list, but nothing too crazy. Um, something that Hal and I have been talking about, which we're probably going to do after Marchesa, is look into Mike and Eleven and do, like, a five-color pod list. I've really and, wanted to look into that, too. I, if you won't mind invite, uh, like, you know, whatever, getting me in on those conversations, that's, I literally bought a Mike and Eleven with the intent to, like, work on, like, a five-color mid-ranges thing. And Pod, I mean, Pod also sounds really good, just being able to use Mike's ability. I wanted to, like, like, the idea of Mike plus Ranger Captain of Eos is really, really appealing to me. So, like. Yeah, and that, that's what we're looking at, like, abusing, like, Ranger Captain or abusing Dothy. And then yeah. there's also the new the new white creature that got spoiled recently. I don't know the name of it, but it's white, two colorless, and then it's a seaborn, but only for creatures. So for three mana, you can keep reacting. Oh, you can just Mike keep miking with mana creatures. That's sick. Yeah, exactly. So then it's like if you get a ranger captain in that out, or that, now yeah, you, you have that seaborn, you have two different ways. Like, yeah, you just lock people out of casting, casting on creatures. And I don't really see a world where you lose that game. <laughs> sure, I mean, but uh, this is still like a three or four card combo, right? Like, you need stuff going on. But Yeah, so I, I don't know how good it's going to be, but... Him and I haven't been too impressed with what we've seen people tinkering with, and we think that there is a definitely potential there for, like, five-color pod stuff. So, we'll see. It's not what we're talking about, but we're waiting to talk to Marchesa just because him and I are just been so busy. Like, obviously, I'm yeah, you're... stuff together to help run mm-hmm. the tournament, and he's been practicing because he's going to be playing Park uh, Shakashima again, so he's just trying to get reps in on that deck. <laughs> yeah, that deck's not one you, uh, you want to be slow at if you're planning on playing it in a tournament setting, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, we've been a little occupied, but after Marchesa, I'm definitely going to get back into the brewing space and looking into various things yeah i'm more or less in the same boat you know i was uh face deep in pioneer for whatever the preceding about month and a half just preparing for that tournament um which obviously paid off but didn't leave a ton of extra room for brewing tried a little bit of brea stuff it was actually worse than i thought it was going to be so kind of off doing brea things brea's gonna have to wait until she can be a good jeweled lotus deck or something because wow that card's messed up so I kind of have like a blue farm deck together, still playing some Bergy stuff, but uh, honestly, a lot of my brewing has just taken a little bit of a backseat and uh, I'll, I'll be getting back into it here shortly. And uh, I actually saw a cool thread on the new commander, like AO, AO, I don't know. Yeah, don't the mono white one. Yeah, yeah. There's like apparently like some crazy stuff you can do with like that and uh, Ashna's altar and Nim Death Mantle. You just like go through your whole deck and it's like. You know, it gets around rule of laws and all that kind of stuff, and it's in mono white. I don't know. It's kind of a neat thing. Um, of course, you can find Nif- Nim Death Mantle with all like the equipment tutors, like Stoneforge Mystic and Steel Shaper's Gift and stuff. So like, it's it's actually shockingly easy to tutor up. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in that space that I thought about looking at, but even still, I don't know if I'd pick that up before like something like KCI Teshar, which actually kind of appeals to me. It's like very much the kind of thing I would want to do. In ZDH. Yeah, it's more of more of your stormy background and yeah. you play, all, play all these cards that are just definitely terrible. But it's just like, but trash. I need it, then it does, yeah. But then it does the thing when you bring like three of these shitty cards together, and it's like, ah, yes, <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. Where do I sign? Give me that. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a couple things that interest me, and a couple things that uh, I'm excited to try out. Uh, I do want to get in on the Mike and Eleven. That's on my back burner for sure. I, that's a pairing that like I look at them and I'm like, this has to be busted. Like, there's no way. These two cards, like being five color partners, both of which have like relevant text boxes and like gives you five color partners. There's no way that's not like really good. There's no way it's not busted, right? And the thing that I've noticed with most of the decks that people came out is that they lean more into 11 and Mike. And they, yeah, 11 is just good on her own. Do not stop trying to make her better. 11 is just a good card. Like, treat it like a crom. Like, what are you doing with your crom? Nothing. You just put it in play and you let it draw cards. 
Do the same thing with 11. Lean into the cheap one, the one that you're going to cast early. Mike. Yeah, exactly. And then you just can get ridiculous value. Like I said, like we talked about, like looping ranger captains and things like that. Or it's like even just having like any of your standard hate bears, like Aven, Op Agent, people can keep yeah. killing them. But as long as you're Mike, you just up, can't kill it. Yeah. It's like, here you go. It's back. Welcome back. <laughs> and I think that's where the power of that deck really lies. So we'll see. Who knows? It might be a flop, but I, I definitely think, especially if you join in the conversations, Mio and Hal will definitely be able to come up with something that's pretty, pretty, pretty good. Cool. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely interested in that. And I'll look forward to working on that. I guess we'll keep the viewers updated in this little segment of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Well, I guess we should probably talk about what we're actually talking about today. And that is kind yeah. of the, I don't want to call it like problem, but like the, the challenges that CEDH tournaments face. And this is like discussion that I kind of don't really see enough of. So in my context for this is I obviously am a big part of like, whatever, like the 1v1 magic Twitter sphere, right? Like I see a lot of posts from you know professionals of all levels be- between being like a mid-level grinder or like actual world champion. Like I follow all these people and like interact with those people in some way, either tangentially or otherwise. And, you know, there's always discussions around like very small minutia of tournaments, like all the time. Like, you know, what if about this little corner case? What about this, this, this? And you don't really see very much of that in CDH because, like, the even though you do a lot of min-maxing when it comes to, like, plays and building your deck list and stuff, it's still a very casual environment. And it's still uh, – there, there's still a lot that it hasn't been figured out because it is such a wide-open space with such very unique experiences from, you know, different pods and from different players. There's just it's, – it's hard to, like, actually have any true and solid conclusions in this format. But when it comes to tournaments, there are a host of things that I find to be potentially problematic, you know, to some degree. Now, like I said, 1v1 tournaments have their fair share of problems. There's discussion about it all the time. I mean, if I had a dime for every time intentional draws were mentioned uh, as like a problem, because they certainly are, uh, they like, you know, whatever. I'd probably have a, a few dollars or something. I don't know. But like the point is ter- the 1v1 tournaments aren't perfect. But they're, the problems in them are at least frequently talked about and, you know, or, or something that's addressed usually in some way or another by tournament organizers. And that's why I think it's really cool to have this bit. This is a, an episode we've talked about or at least alluded to in our first few episodes where it's like, I have a lot of opinions about tournaments. You have a lot of opinions about tournaments. And you're actually like one of the more prominent tournament organizers at the moment. I know you help out with basically every big CDA tournament that happens. You kind of have a say in it in some way or another. So... I think this is going to be a really cool episode that's really going to highlight some of my concerns coming from, like, as a 1v1 player, looking at CDH tournaments as something, you know, I might want to play, I might not, whatever, but here are my concerns and having kind of you being able to answer that and kind of walk through why it may or may not be an issue or, you know, whatever. My scenarios are fabricated and not relevant. So I think that's going to be a, a good discussion. Yeah, for sure. So I have like a, a list of kind of high level things, and this is not at all meant to be a comprehensive list, but this is just some top of my head. Here's some things that I've brought up to other tournament organizers in the past um, and talked about a little bit on Twitter, or at least alluded to on Twitter, but did not want to have this discussion on Twitter at all. This is I, I wanted to use something like a podcast as a platform to discuss some of these issues because I really think there's a lot more nuance to them and a lot more context to them than can really be highlighted in a Twitter discussion and it's just going to lead to a lot of miscommunications if you're limited to whatever the character limit is. Not enough. So, Anyways. 
the first kind of point, and this is this is the first point because I think it's kind of one of the most obvious, um, is that to some degree, being popular matters. And that's like not always necessarily a good thing. Like it isn't clear if being popular actually positively impacts your win rate or your abilities or your win percentage uh, in, in or your chances of winning a tournament or it negatively impacts it, but it definitely has an impact. If people know who you are coming in, that matters. And we know this is true. I think everybody knows this is true. And we even saw, what is it? Ashani and uh, Zerob changing their name uh, and their Discord handle and all that stuff. We talked about that a little bit when we covered the Playing With Power tournament. Like, they went out of their way to mitigate it so that, oh, people are going to know who we are. We want to kind of be, you know, disrespected. We kind of want to be randoms. That way, you know, we kind of can come out of nowhere with our talents and our abilities and go through for the win. But uh, this kind of also encompasses content creators, like people that like your favorite streamer or whatever. Like if they show up to to an event and they're playing in your pod, are you going to be more or lo- more or less likely to listen to them if they're like, hey, you should gather, or, you know, whatever. Are they going to have more social currency when it comes to leveraging politics than a random? I, I mean, I think absolutely, right? Yeah, and this is just kind of like one of the biggest is inherent problems to me with like gauging someone's competitive success in CD just because there are four players in every game. It's mm-hmm. not just like a 1v1. So, and especially how politics factors into everything. So, uh, things like if someone has no idea who you are, they might be less likely to listen to your opinions. Or it's like if you were like, oh, we need to deal with this. This could be something that's coming. But you see this a lot like when I play with Zane. He plays a lot of Tim, uh, Tim Natana, Malcolm, like Timber Pirates. And I've noticed a very consistent play pattern with him is that he just likes putting a Psychrift on the stack overloaded made face. And usually it's a bait because he's holding the Glenhorn. So it's like, fight over this and I'm going to drop a Glenhorn on you. And I know Psychrift Overload is a really scary spell, but it's just like I've picked up on those play patterns. But if I say that like in a pod, for instance, people just be like, you're crazy. Like I can't let the Psychrift resolve because then I'm just out of the game. <clears throat> sure. So it's definitely one of those things where like who, who you know like really impacts it just because you might be more inclined to listen to someone or... It just really plays a lot into politics, and I think we kind of saw this at Tier 1 Con, for instance, like, when Sick Robot won with Cody, not anything against, like, his success or, like, um, aptitude on the deck, but if you watch the final stream, there was literally a point where he convinced someone to chain a vapor and wandering archaic instead of his Cody, and then he just untapped and won with Cody. And that's just wild to me. Like, I would never be in a game where I see a turbo player and that they're the ones trying to advocate something like wandering archaic or, like, a rule law going away. I will never listen to them. But Sure, right, yeah. He was able to use his social currency and he ended up winning the tournament on that, which I just think is kind of kind of insane when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not something that's as much a part of 1v1. Now, not to say it's not. Like, this is certainly something that in 1v1, like, say I'm playing against whatever, best player in the world. I'm playing against PVDDR, right? Like, he's somebody that, like, he's not going to be able to tell me what to do because I like that doesn't even make any sense. We're, like, playing 1v1. But, like, you know, the way he moves like if he makes an attack that looks a little sus i'm certainly going to give it more respect than if somebody looks like they're making a chump attack you know that's a, a complete random or whatever and, and and you'd like to think that in general you should give all of your opponents close to the same level of respect because that way your um your results don't vary as much like your play patterns don't vary based on player because they shouldn't they should you know you should be able to read cues based on you know what cards are being played at what time and other you should pick up on other play patterns than just is your opponent you know more decorated than you know this next opponent like that shouldn't be as relevant when making decisions but it is i think no matter what it is i think a lot of players 
um, you know, whatever. They'll come in more nervous if they're playing against a known player in 1v1 tournaments. So, like, there is some amount of impact, but the political nature of CDH being a four-player format means that it's not just... Oh, like, oh no, I'm playing against this like really good player. Like I'm nervous and I'm going to overly respect. Maybe I'll play more conservatively than I should because I know they're good, blah, blah, blah. Like they draw the same cards you do. Like don't, don't stress when you're playing against good players because they're still just going to, they're still just drawing seven magic cards and they're playing magic. Like there's no magic, there's no like wizardry involved outside of the actual cardboard themselves. Um, but like in a four player pod, like somebody can literally be like, Hey, like you can make like an entire almost like lawyer case where it's like, oh, you should whatever bounce this wandering okay instead of my Cody. And like if somebody, you know, is well spoken, presents a good argument and, um, you know, whatever is, is somebody that you place more weight on their words because of whatever reason, be it, you know, success in the tournament scene, their content creator, or they're just one of your friends, like that has a direct impact on the entire pods win rate, right? Like this is now something that matters. This is a factor. And, you know, for me, that's just kind of, I, I understand that's part of it. Like that's really hard to help, but that makes me kind of uncomfortable, right? Like that, like that's not something I'm used to. I'm used to, we sit down and we can play, you know, we're going to play just tight magic. That's it. I don't have to worry about, you know, convincing anybody of anything, or I don't need to worry about if I'm popular enough that people are going to listen to me. Like, is that something I want to worry about? Like, you know, these are things I need to think about. When I go into playing a CDH tournament. Now, I, I don't know how extreme it is. Maybe you can speak to this more or less, but it seems to me like it would be a really big part of the average pod, right? I definitely think that, like, your fame definitely plays a part into it, but ultimately, like, you and I feel like are both on the same page where we're not very inclined to, like, enter CDH tournaments personally just because of our, like, things we're talking about now. But the other mm-hmm. thing, too, that I just find very, very frustrating about CDH games is. I could play the game perfectly, and then I lose because someone else makes a mistake along the line. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I just think is really important to talk about with tournaments, because you could be the best CDH player in the world. Like, I'm not saying that there is one right now, but, like, you could be, you know, like, the reduke of CDH. Like, you're just a phenomenal player. But you'll just lose games because someone counters the wrong spell, someone passes priority at the wrong yep. time, someone tutors the wrong thing. And that's just something that kind of prevents me from entering tournaments personally. Like I literally like running them because I love that the energy of tournaments and like being a part of that. And I really like putting them on because I know a lot of people are super into them, but I just would not want to spend a day playing magic with substantial prize on the line where I know I could be playing the best of my life and still just lose because someone else does something that's not optimal. So that's, that's a cool thing to think about in general too. Cause like this kind of um, I'm going to call it variance because that's what it is. This kind of variance uh, comes into play with like whatever, take like Overwatch or something, right? Like if you're playing a ranked game of Overwatch, like your teammates are complete rant, like the randoms, and you could lose a game just because someone decides they want to be whiny at this particular time, or they want to, you know, I don't know, they just make a simple mistake and you just lose the entire game, even though you played perfect as whatever character. So, like, I think. If you want to have a healthy mindset regarding that going in, you have to understand that that is as much variance as it is like drawing the wrong cards. Like it's just flooding on lands. Like it adds an extra element of variance to the game of magic, which, you know, is tilting. Like people, when they are on the negative side of variance are going to be extremely tilted, but you have to think at the same time, that's also what makes some of the really cool lines where somebody screws up and that gives you a chance to win. Like suddenly you're in it because they bounced the wrong thing or they blew up the wrong thing or they countered somebody's spell when it didn't matter. Like now suddenly you're in a spot to win. Like the variance does go both ways, just like, you know, screw versus flood. 
So, like, I think that aspect I do find extremely tilting as well. Like, that is something that is very, very uncomfortable for me. It's like, look, I can come in, I can prepare perfect, I can do all this stuff. I go into the tournament and some, like, whatever, some clown decides that they are just going to make decisions at random and I lose the game as a result. Like, that is really, really frustrating. And you see games like Overwatch and some of these other, like, team-based games really mitigate that via ladder play. Like, basically, it doesn't matter that you saw that variance that one time. If you're a good player, over time, you're going to win more than you lose still, despite these uh, extra element of variance. And then, you you know, you have that ELO system that is going to bump you up and put you where you belong. And, you know, it's not, you know, if you feel like it's happening every game, then it might actually just be you. <laughs> like, you know, like, the, the players that are good at games like that, even with elements, like a team element eventually come out on top despite um that extra element of variance and i think that's true for cdh as well but you do bring up a good point that in any specific instance like uh like you know whatever uh, one given tournament it's very likely that you know your tournament ends directly as a result of somebody else's play and you know nothing to do with your own and that's it's a tough pill to swallow and you have to be ready to swallow if you're going to enter one of these cdh tournaments yeah and I think one other thing to mention too, on just aside from once again, like other people making mistakes, you can just get really messed up if you're in a tournament and someone's playing like something that's more high powered or something like that. I think this is something that we will be seeing at Marchesa, especially because it's paper cards and some people don't like proxies for one reason or another, like even though they're allowed, there's mm-hmm. going to be people who are like, I own these cards. I spent a year or so putting this deck together. I'm going to play it even if I don't have a mana crypt or an imp seal or whatever. It may be, the, you know, insert expensive card here. This format's ridiculously expensive. Then you just kind of lose these games because, you know, you may have gone to the mindset, like, I'm going to be playing Toon CEDH. Then you're looking at, you know, some sort of, like, tribal deck or, like, maybe, like, it's, uh, like, a lower colored deck, but it's lacking a lot of tutors and things. And then it's kind of weird because then it puts you in this position where sometimes these games become three-person games. And then that just starts to favor other decks versus another. So, like, for instance, if right. you're more into, like, mid-rangey strategies or, you know, more into, like, stacks and things like that that are slower... Um, Torms you see Turbo do excessively well, like making a lot of them into top 16 a lot of the times. Like, once again, tier one, like Cody had a very good showing. When people show up with these untuned decks, they are just not equipped. And now the person who's going Turbo, they only have two players to worry about instead of three. And that makes a mile of difference. Like, there's been times where I've played at my shop and, like, I'll be playing with, like, a deck, that, a deck that's just running Adnaz. And I just win games after games after game because there's only two people who actually have, like, counter magic or things that can stop me. And yeah. they're just not ready for the turn two, turn three Nas every game. Well, that's something you see in 1v1 Magic, too, is a lot of the fair decks do get kind of messed up. And this is something people complain about with the modern format a lot of the time, because the modern format is generally regarded as being really wide, having a lot of different decks, even though, of course, it has the same, whatever, tier one. It has the same number of decks that are, like, actually the best decks as any other format. Because it's been around for so long and there's been such a churn of different decks, some people... uh they own a deck that hasn't, you know, whatever, been in favor in two to three years, but they still play it. And if you show up to a tournament, like, you have to be ready to face that. Like, it, that same risk for playing a fair deck, you, that a fair deck is going to be worse against this random deck out of nowhere than an unfair deck that's just going to be like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I don't care anymore. Kill you. You know, it's just like, uh, I think in 1v1 tournaments, a lot of times, like, aggressively proactive decks are you know, generally favored against, you know, kind of the tier three, tier four stuff that you haven't seen in a while. And it's the same effect, like you said, if you're playing some kind of higher powered deck that's not actually CDH and like, you know, it's going to be punishing to the fair decks because now you have another player that's not kind of participating in the the group game 
as far as stopping wins and stuff as you necessarily need to succeed. And that puts Faradex at somewhat of a disadvantage. And I think that's just kind of part of magic. I think it's an interesting part of magic. You know, Faradex get better, the better players you're playing with. And you see that happen at the Pro Tour too, where you'll see these like really wild control decks that like people will win with. And it's like, how did they ever win with this? It's like, well, if you can predict the metagame down to like three decks that are actually playable and are fairly confident there's not going to be some kind of dark horse, you know, crazy deck that comes out of nowhere. Like you can actually start building a, a fair deck to tackle that uh, smaller, tighter meta game and have a lot of success with it. Um, so I, I think that happens a lot in 1v1 60 card tournaments as it is. And it's, it, it is actually kind of neat to me that, that we're going to see a lot of the same thing happen in um, a, a CDH setting. Now, like you said, that's not to say that Faradex can't win as long as you still have, like, whatever, like an Ad Nauseam in your deck. You can still just, like, be like, surprise, like, Ritual Ritual Ad Nauseam on turn one, and, you know, suddenly you win. Um, but it is something that you're going to have to assess and take into account when you're looking at the commanders at the table. It's like, okay, well, this person's playing Sliver Overlord or whatever. Uh, might be time to, to mulligan the three counter spell hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The last little point I wanted to wanted to touch on regarding just like popularity um, is kind of I don't know it's a little bit of a sensitive subject so I don't plan to go into it too much but um, there's kind of a tax on any foreign talent because of language slash cultural barriers like if if the entire table is you know very fluent English speakers that can communicate you know a lot of nuance and delicate topics and convince the table to do something but like. You know, somebody that maybe, you know, isn't as fluent in English or, you know, whatever, says things a different way and that rubs the table the wrong way. They could just get targeted or ignored or whatever. And even though they're, you know, a great player, just the lopsided amount of you know, of English speakers is is going to have a direct impact on win rate. Whereas, like, in 1v1, you actually really don't see this happen. Like, obviously, there's, there can be some communication issues about, you know, where are we in the turn? Did you say that resolved? Like, some of that stuff comes up sometimes. But generally, a lot of those things, uh, they have physical cues attached to them as well. Things like passing the turn, passing priority. They have, like, nods and all that kind of stuff. So you can usually communicate. Like, I've played against people that did not speak any English, really. And, you know, we played a functional game of magic where we both understood what was going on so like that i feel is a lot more pop like possible than in cdh tournaments where you can have you know whatever three english speakers and a non-english speaker or multiple non-english speakers and then only two english speakers and then it's like kind of weird is this like a 2v2 like what are we doing here because you're, you know we can't really communicate and we need to so i don't really know if you know physical cues can kind of fill the same role because, like I said, the conversation there is more nuanced. If you're trying to convince somebody to bounce a bounce an archaic instead of a Cody, and you need to make the case for it, then you know it might take a little bit more language skills than the entire table has access to at the moment. And that's that to me is makes it a little frustrating because it's like you know it isn't really as equal opportunity as I would like tournaments to be, especially in respect to uh, people that are non-native English speakers. I definitely agree with all those points. That's not something I can speak to too much, just because, like I said, I, I've never really, I've never participated in the CDH event. But mm -hmm. as we mentioned, politics and talking is just such a huge thing, and you can talk people into doing the right play. You also can talk to them into doing things that benefit you. And if you're, they're not able to completely communicate with the table, or you're just not as comfortable talking because maybe, like you said, English is your second language, or you happen to be playing with people where Spanish is their first language, and you don't know how to speak Spanish, like it can definitely lead to issues because the whole point of commander like when it was started by sheldon it was meant to be a casual 
more fun, interactive thing where everyone's talking and, you know, helping strategize, make different moves. Like that, that was like the basis of it when it first started. I definitely think if you're going into a pod and you're not able to completely communicate with the table for one reason or another, it will lead to issues and that can definitely impact your win rate in some way or give other people an edge or maybe you like some type of benefit. Like I definitely think that is something. I don't really think that has a great solution, but that's just kind of going back to what we're saying. Like politicking is a big part of this game. And while you and I aren't fans of like table talk and all that, it's still a huge part of the game. It's something that a lot of people enjoy. And if you can't participate in that in any way whatsoever, it can definitely be like have, have negative consequences on your. Yeah. I don't really want to make it overblown. Cause like I said, I actually play a lot of, CDH where I don't, I do almost no table talking. So it may not even be as much of an issue as I make it out to be because like you could really realistically show up and just like honestly just cast your spells at the legal times to do so and like have a pretty decent win rate. I mean, I certainly did for a lot of the beginning of my CDH career. And like I said, I've, I've kind of begun table talking a little bit more, but in general, I, I, I still think that, uh, if you're kind of debating whether or not to table talk on an issue or not, I, I tend to lean towards not. And I think maybe that might mitigate a lot of the issues, but it is still something that like certainly could come up, especially if you have a particularly chatty pod. Yeah. Like I don't, like I said, I don't think this is going to like make or break anything, but I do exactly. think it, it just affects the overall accessibility of the format, especially on like a competitive level. And realistically, yeah, like realistically, I think some of the best, um, solutions, I guess, to this, not even really solutions, but, maybe some of the best like mitigations for this are to, you know, have judges present, have judges watching the game. And specifically, I think there should be maybe some amount of like policy uh, about in-game conversation because it is such a big part of the game. Like for instance, you uh, in competitive tournaments, they make an announcement before like whatever the last round of Swiss or whatever, where it's always like the same where it's like, you cannot determine the match of magic by anything other than playing magic do not offer your opponent anything in exchange for win, blah, blah, blah. A bunch of things that will get you disqualified. Like, if you try to roll a dice and be like, okay, let's just roll for it. Like, yeah, no, you're both going to get DQ'd. Don't do that. So, like, I think having some amount of policing on the kinds of things you can say um, might help with this. Where, like, you know, obviously abusive language needs to be completely avoided uh, at a baseline no matter what. But on top of that, maybe, like, you know, if someone tries to, like, you know, any kind, anything that's even tangential to like a threat or an appeal to popularity, maybe like that could be like really mitigated and cracked down on in such a way where this is not really a problem anymore, um, or at least not extreme as extreme of a problem. And I mean, you maybe could still get away with it. There's like you know a certain way to say things in one v one tournaments, and this is you know kind of where it, it, I'm sure it's similar. Where like you know you you have to say things a certain way, and there's an underlying meeting. Uh, that you need to know in 1v1 tournaments. And uh, that sucks a lot that it exists, but it does, and that's how things are. And maybe that would happen anyway, but at least making it harder to where it's not like openly, you know, abusive or problematic or anything like that uh, could help mitigate some of this. I, I don't think all of this is just hopeless and how it's going to be. I think, you know, having solid judging that understands that this is something that can happen and has a solid policy on it one way or another either this is just how it is or it isn't i think certainly does a lot to mitigate this kind of stuff yeah for sure yeah so i just want to go on a little tirade saying like uh, uh, this entire episode is kind of about my reservations that i've put together with tournaments and talking through them with you because i have a lot of thoughts coming from the 1v1 tournament scene and in, into this and I don't think, you know, all of these mean that no cdh tournaments should ever happen i think uh very good and productive tournaments have happened in the past 
I think March Chase is going to be an awesome event. And like, honestly, I think at the end of this, like there's going to be a lot of cool things we're going to talk about, about how March Chase is handling some of these problems. But um it is a good episode to kind of get out there and start the conversation around because I do think that is going to be a net positive on the CDH community. These kinds of things are out in the open and addressed and thought of when it comes to tournaments. And I mean, you're basically every tournament's TO, so who better to talk to about it than you? So here we are. Um, cool. So the next thing I want to talk about is slow play. And this is what I know you've called out is Marchese is going to be really cracking down on. And uh, But I did definitely want to bring it up anyway because I still don't think it's talked about enough. Slow play is a huge problem in 1v1 60 card magic. A lot of players don't know how to mitigate it. They don't know how to say like nicely, like you should play faster. Uh, they don't really know how to communicate that like time is an issue and you should play faster. Or And if somebody's not, when to call a judge over and say, hey, like we watch us both for our pace of play to make sure that we're playing at an appropriate pace. Because there's not enough judges in any tournament to watch every single match all the time. It's not possible. So you need to identify... When is your opponent, or opponents in this case, consistently playing slow? If they take a long time in one turn, I mean, I do all the time. And I usually announce it like to my opponent. I'll be like, I'm sorry, this is like a really critical turn. I'm going to put more thought into this turn than, than normal. And like the rest of the time, I'll be playing at a good, quick pace, be playing fast, making decisions fast. But there's like one tournament, or like one turn rather, where I have a lot of decisions that like are going to determine the outcome of the game in the next like two or three turns. And I like sit down and put some serious thought into it. I'll take whatever, two minutes, two and a half minutes on a turn. Whereas like normally my turns take 30 to 45 seconds, which is a lot more appropriate. Um, This is something that is going to be even more problematic in CDH because you're not just worried about two players pace of play. There is four players pace of play that goes into account for one match. And I don't know, and this is something that I definitely want your feedback on, but I don't really know what happens if a pod comes to a draw. Like, what happens if all four players are still in the game, the board state's, like, locked up and just looks really messy, and they're out of time. They're out of time. They've passed turns. How do you do an unintentional draw in CEDH? What does that look like? Yeah, so that's another problem where slow play plays a huge role into it and also is just the big issue for running tournaments. Like, one of the biggest things is, like, I... I've yet to see a CDH tournament run anywhere on time, and part of that's because what happens when you go to a draw. So, say the round is uh, 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. After the 80 minute turn, after the 80 minute round is over, then it goes to turns, and whoever's the active player is turn zero, and then each person gets another turn. So, it's, say it's your turn, your turn zero, then the next person's one, two, three, four, and then the game's over. If someone didn't win after those, then it's a draw. However, as you know, with CDH, turn cycle can be 20 seconds long. They can also be 30 minutes to an hour for one whole turn cycle. Right. And so then that just leads to all these issues because it's like really hard like to determine like what happens in draws. And, you know, it's a lot easier in 1v1 formats where it goes to turns or like you get the a little bit of extra time as you only have one person to worry about. And also, you know, I'm not saying like legacy vintage and other formats don't have explosive turns. There's a lot less going on than in CEDH, especially when everyone can interact on your turn. So that is like a big issue. And then it leads to a lot of. Like Michael Levine talks about the slots, you know, he likes playing stacks, so he plays Heliod. And it's kind of hard to find the sweet spot, like, how long should a tournament round be? Like, should it be 70 minutes? Should it be 90 minutes? So it's like, obviously, 90 minutes is more beneficial for players that like to play stacks where games just naturally go longer. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, okay, it's a 90-minute round. If that goes to turns and turns takes another 40 minutes, now our tournament's 40 minutes behind, and that was only round one. So, right. 
And I mean, really CDH tournaments and matches in particular are more high variance. So like theoretically to like weed out the best of the best players, you need more rounds. Like that's just like kind of game, game theory fundamentals where it's like, you know, if there's higher variance baked into the game, which in CDH there is, because not only do you have your own deck, but it's all one ofs or whatever. And you're playing with, you know, the variance of other players that are involved. So if you want like the best CDH players, you need a ton more rounds than you would otherwise. And now if the, the time limit's 90 minutes or whatever, and you need even more rounds, like it's just like, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later where lower win rates do have an impact on the perception of the format, but like, you know, you want more rounds that way there's, you know, the, the variance weeds itself out, but you can't do that without having like an, whatever, like an entire weekend long tournament just to finally get to like a final pot or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And this is something that, you know, the community, we don't really have a great solution for because most CDH events have been online. I said there was like tier one con, there was the DDM event before. But when you're playing online and things run late, it's like, whatever. They're really, like, can suck because then you're up really late, especially when people are playing in different time zones and everything. But at the end of the day, there's not as much cost. But when you're doing this in person and you have to take into account venue fees, how long do you have the venue? Because at a mock sporting house, we can't just be there till what, one in the morning or midnight. Because, like, the exactly. power tournament, we were still playing that final pot until about midnight Eastern time. So the tournament was 12 hours long. So it's like booking a venue for that long be able to stay later it, the, there's a lot of factors that come into play when you're doing this in person versus online and i think that's something that we're chasing we're really going to be very observant of and i remember the exact round timer we're using for marches but i know we're playing with power that was 90 minutes and we're definitely not doing 90 minutes for in person i think we're doing 75 i believe um Ooh. i would need to double check yeah, yeah exactly. Yo, i mean i like it because like i do want the rounds to get a get a move on you know what if you die on turn three your entire pod dies on turn three and you're waiting 75 minutes to play your next round like such a beating but like imagine 90 minutes like now you have time to just go home take a nap come back or whatever like it's it, it's 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 hard to do i think but I do appreciate the shorter round times with like stricter enforcement of slow play. I think that is the way to do it. And what it sounds like, that's the way y'all are doing it. And that's really encouraging to me because I think it's something that needs to be a hot topic of discussion for the judges. I think it's under enforced in 1v1 play. And to, to the judges credit in 1v1 play, if there's a match that's gone past time and is, you know, still playing or whatever, they will actually come over and they'll sit down and watch the match that because you know obviously they're out of time so like they need to make sure that the players are playing at a reasonable pace so that the tournament can move on to the next round plus they want to see if there's you know going to be any kind of sketchiness sometimes there's some uh if it comes down to a, uh, an unintentional draw there's conversations that happen surrounding trying to get one player to concede because they're really behind and they're going to win if given you know whatever three more turns but they you know they're out of time so we concede to me like a draw is a loss for both of us like a lot of conversation stuff like that happens and the judges need to be kind of present there to make sure there's no kind of bribing or any any kind of nonsense like that so anytime you know matches are down to to time they will walk over and be more i guess present in the match and be able to enforce they they do get more strict about enforcing slow play because they know that this you know this match is holding up the entire tournament and so we need to get a move on. So I imagine you'll see a lot of that happening there too. Yeah, um, and that's one thing I'm really, really happy about because um, another thing with online tournaments is just finding judges and finding staff are, can be really difficult just because, you know, it's very different running a tournament online where you're just sitting at your desk all day and have to be at your computer versus running an event where it's in person. You're able to walk around. You're actually able to interact with people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to get um, staff for a lot of these events, and that's something that I've struggled with with the tournaments that I've been involved with. 
But for Marchesa, our head judge is a level two. And I have never run a CDH event yet where a level two was present. So that just makes me really happy just to have someone who has a lot more experience, is a lot more comfortable with like, you know, calling things out like slow play and all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of times when I get judges for events, it's like never even judged an event before. <laughs> yeah. Cer- it's past the certification. They might have done online stuff. But like, like I said, it's a, such a different all game and actually like knowing how to deal with it. And I know Libby, who the head judge is, he, he made it very clear that he's going to be very strict on slow play. And once games go to time, he's going to be standing over them and he will definitely make sure things are moving along. That's so wait, I'm sorry. What happens if, if a pod uh, draws, like what happens if it comes down, you know, they do, they exhaust all their turns and uh, you know, it's come to a draw, which I, I assume that can happen, right? Like that has to happen. There's no like, oh, yeah, sudden it, death thing that happens. No, there's no sudden death. If after the, after turns is up and the game is still going on, it's just, a, it's a draw. And people, you know, get like zero dash one zero or whatever. I forget the exact. Yeah, I mean that's how you out. mark it. How many match points do they get? Is it still like the same like three versus one thing? Uh, yeah, I believe so. It's three for a win, one for a draw, zero for a loss. Okay, I don't know if you did it the same way they do it with like Swiss, where like draws are worth a point, or if they were worth zero points. Now draws still get you a point, so that also leads to you know other things then because you're in turns, you know, you have no chance of winning. Then maybe you start to play differently and start to like exactly. I mean that happens in one v one magic too. Yeah, that's yeah, just, exactly. that's just that, a problem with magic. <laughs> yeah, that's not something that I think will have any solution. But yeah, it's also that, something that can like lead to more time because now people are already taking a lot of time to think on their turns. Now it's like, okay, I can't win, but how do I just not lose? <laughs> exactly. Like, how do you? It's called playing for the draw. How do you play for the draw? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think that's as much of a problem. But I'm definitely curious to see how everything works in person and. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear about this lower game. round clock. I think that that would be a lot more appealing to me if the rounds were like significantly shorter. Yeah. I, I like I like to see the tournaments moving along. Well, uh, kind of like a another sub point on this that I have here, um, and this is not something that I think I don't want to overplay this one like it's a huge deal or whatever, but it is something that like is moderately concerning to me. Is that like? CDH, more so than even normal EDH, has a ton of shuffling. And I think under shuffling is going to be a big problem with CDH pods because like you are trying to move the game along, right? Like if you're, if you're showing up, you're you know, experienced with your CDH deck, you're competing, you should be familiar with your deck. Like there's, you should be able to take your turns fairly quickly. And so as a result, like you are trying to play at a reasonable pace because we just spent all this time talking about slow play. But at the same time, sufficiently randomizing a 99 card deck is actually like pretty difficult. Like you need, it's not like, you know, that, that hard. It's just like, you know, it's kind of unwieldy. There's a lot of cards. They're worth a lot of money. So they may be double sleeved, usually double sleeved and maybe even double sleeved in like perfect fit hards or whatever. Or the deck is just huge and unwieldy and hard to shuffle. And I think. People in just 1v1 formats, you see people like Ross and Merriam call this out all the time where people just like kind of habitually under shuffle. And like I think in CEDH, it's going to be even more of an issue and because people just like I said, they want to like fetch, grab their land, shuffle like once or twice and then present their deck or whatever. Like, come on, you, you need to shuffle your deck. <laughs> and there's like some math out there. I think someone like Karsten did the math on the number of times you need to like shuffle to like sufficiently randomize your deck. I think for like a 60 card deck, it was something like whatever, eight, eight mass shuffles, I think was what neat was needed. But like, I don't remember. I'm quoting just kind of nonsense that I, I seem to have vague memory of. But like, I don't know what the policy for cutting is. I don't know if each person gets a chance to cut or if like you offer one other member of the table to cut or whatever. But 
I, I think, and there's no, I don't know if there's actually a way to enforce this in any meaningful way. It's just kind of something to look out for if you're planning on playing a tournament to like, make sure you cut your opponent's decks and stuff. Like actually shuffle people's decks. You know, I do this, they tell you this all the time when cutting. It's one of the best ways to prevent like deck cheating, like with deck stacking and stuff. Pick your opponent's deck up and shuffle it when they offer it to cut. Always. I do it all the time. I do it for every match. Doesn't matter if I know the person. I still just habitually to keep the habit ingrained, we'll pick their deck up and shuffle it when it comes to, uh, to, to cutting people's decks because that's just like, that's a habit I've built in and I think it's an important habit to have. And it's one I would certainly have for CDH too. I might even put a little bit more time into it, even if it's just a fetch or just to shuffle off a ponder or whatever, just to shuffle off a vampire tutor on your instep and you want to get along with your turn. Make sure people's decks are shuffled. Otherwise, you know, whatever, they, they get information, they could be stacking their deck, there's all kinds of stuff that, you know, all kinds of cheats that have been tried, all kinds of, you know, even just like, whatever, moving lands to the bottom that is done when shuffling, like, you just need to make sure that you shuffle with these decks. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, I definitely feel like I'm someone who, like, under shuffles, granted, you know, I'm always just like playing friendly games. Like, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't matter other. if you're playing with your homies yeah, or whatever. Exactly, and like we're not even like cutting each other's decks. But I will say, so I never played in like an actual like full CDH form. But there was a card shop I used to go to a few years ago, where I would play for like store credit. But it was only three rounds. It was ba- or it was only two rounds. So like you would be usually around eight to twelve people. Play your first pot. If you win, you go to like the winner's pot, and then if you won both games, you get like I don't know, say forty dollars store credit. If you won one game, you got like. Ten dollars of store credit, and that paid for your uh, your entry. Yeah, your entry. Uh, regardless, whenever I was in those games, I always was cutting people's decks. People were always cutting my deck, and I never saw anyone like shuffle a deck. Like maybe if you were like suspicious of someone, but like like I said, it was a small group, and we played with the same people week after week. No matter what it was, if you know it was like a fetch land, unless it was like, oh, can I shortcut? I'm gonna fetch, and then here's a vamp. It was just like the person across from you or whoever was like more free. You just give them your deck. And they cut it real fast. And yeah, I definitely think yeah. that's something that you need to do because there's also so many times too. Like you know, we all do this where it's like, oh, I'm vamp tutoring, and then you're looking through your deck, and it's like, do I want this or do I want this? And maybe you're looking at like three cards, and there are just like a lot of opportunities where it's like, oh, like I need this one on top, but let's make sure this one ends up also close to the top, and you know things like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more of a reminder than anything. I don't want to overplay this. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. No, I don't. I don't think it's like this is something that's really like. Yeah, I don't think it's really happened. But I do think it's important. Like when you, you might not be used to doing it, since uh, CDH is generally played more casually, but it's like just cut their deck. It takes seconds, and yeah, just it'll, just it'll make remember to cut decks. It'll make you yeah, it'll make you feel better. It makes me feel better when I'm playing for anything on the line. <laughs> Agreed. Well, that's about it for slow play. Like I said, it's, I, it sounds like the Marchesa judges are going to be really good about handling it, and I especially really like the more aggressive round timer and being able to uh, enforce slow play a little more strictly. I think that's going to make I think it's going to make a lot more of a deliberate environment. Like you know, obviously CDH is like very casual uh, in general, which is kind of ironic, kind of an oxymoron, right? It's like oh, you have this casual format, but it's all about being competitive. Yeah, well. If you're playing for something on the line, something's high stakes, I kind of want it to tighten up. I want the ship, you know, to be a little bit tighter, people to, like, make plays a little bit faster, uh, less, like, just random arbitrary chatter that's taking up people's time. Like, let's get the game moving. You have time to chat after. And uh, that's kind of how 1v1 tournaments are going to run. It sounds like that's how these pods are going to run. Uh, I, I'm excited for that kind of transition to uh, a more aggressive round timer. Next point I kind of want to discuss is that uh, low win rates, and this is something that is kind of a, a direct factor of the higher variance of the format while not being able to subsequently dramatically increase the rounds, 
And that's that low win rates uh, kind of make pushing like just players that are good at CEDH uh, a little bit of a non-starter versus like people that just create content. Like content creators, it's easy. Like they are the people with a platform. They have a channel or whatever. They're super charismatic. Like they're people that you want to follow that you're going to get your information from and all that stuff. That exists in 1v1 Magic as well. People stream, people write articles, people make videos, like all that kind of stuff. You have content creators. And then you have people that you know that maybe never, you know, they've never turned on a stream in their life. They've never been in front of a microphone. But you know every time you're playing a tournament and you see them, you're like, oh, no. Like, they are good. And coverage knows who they are. They have their resume pulled up. Like, they have a pretty expansive resume of, you know, whatever, wins and top eights and all this this jazz. And I, I think it is a little dissuading to me coming from that environment that I don't really think that can exist as much in CDH. Like, if you win one event, that's impressive. Because, like, it's just so hard to win an event. Like, winning a second event is just crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, having, I don't know how bad it's going to be, how not bad it's going to be. But if tournaments start getting really, really big, like, I feel like the final four pod is just going to be different people almost every time. Because, like, the win rates are so low. So, like, I don't know, you know, if, whatever, if CDH events get to, like, GP size, I feel like it gets a lot harder to sell from, like, a, a coverage standpoint or even from just, like, you know, sponsorship standpoint these players is they're just great players and like you know you more or less have to produce content to kind of be seen and be known in the cdh uh community and like i said this matters the most i think for coverage because that's a big part of coverage's job is to make the players look good that's what they tell you to do anytime you're like covering a match you're just like make the players look good and you know talk things out you know don't sit there and just bash them all that kind of stuff but if like you are looking at four different names every single time and without being like insanely plugged into the community, I feel like it's going to be really tough to kind of sell the the players of any given pod to the audience based on based on results if they don't do things like produce content. Yeah, I think that lends itself a little bit, but that's also probably the reason why I'm curious to see what what's going to happen at Marchesa and who's going to top because we have like some more recent tournament results now. Like we had um, the Playing with Power tournament. And play uh play DH's thing and there you saw a lot of overlap within the top sixteen at least. Like the top four was definitely pretty different. But I think top four is where it's gonna be more of like maybe not consistent people always making top four. But I think when you look at top sixteen, you see mm-hmm. a lot of overlap tournament to tournament to tournament where it's like these players are the ones who are consistently doing well. And I definitely do think it's hard because like, you know, for instance, Ian, he's someone who does fairly well in tournaments for the most part. Rebel does fairly well. They also are known just because they're doing their content and things. Meanwhile, you know, Alex, you know, the, the person we play with that plays Kenrith a lot, top 16, or he even top forward, uh, no, he didn't top forward uh, playing with power, but he made top 16 playing with power, and then he top 16 or made it to top four play EDH, but, like, no one really knows who he is. It's just a name on Discord. So right. I do think that, that makes it hard for coverage, but I think the harder thing with coverage is that it's just so hard to commentate a CDH game. Especially yeah, yeah, that was, that's also on the list. It's just hard to follow things like rounds of priority and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I don't really think, like, the names are really where um struggle is. I think it's just following the game. Because if you're not hearing the table talk and what people are actually saying, it could be so hard just to know what's going on. Like, for instance, you might see an Adnos on the stack. And that Adnos just sits there for two minutes as people are just, like, thinking about their player, talking about it. So, like, it's not great from a viewer standpoint. Like, from a commentator standpoint, you have all this empty space where people are thinking, people are talking about different interaction points and things like that. And it definitely just can be hard to watch as a viewer. Like, I've definitely tried to tune into CDH events before, and I usually turn them off after 10 minutes just because 
I just get lost. Like, I don't know whose priority is. I don't know who's thinking about what and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's where real struggle is. So it's kind of like you balance that where table talk and everything is so important versus just talking over it because, you know, stacks get crazy and that's kind of hard to commentate when there's like six counter spells on it. And then it's like you, you, without hearing what the players are saying, need to know, are they putting the flusters at the pack to negation or are they pointing them at the Nas or, you know, some combination of that, like, is the pack still resolving? And then you don't know if someone has a pack trigger until they go to the rep keep and either die or tap their mana. Exactly. I think that's, I think that's where the coverage gets much more difficult as opposed to maybe not knowing who the players are. Well, uh, yeah, I think coverage is a little bit of a struggle in general, but I also think that that's what part of, part of what makes it so important is that like having kind of like a commentary crew that maybe has access to the table talk, but like translate it to you in like a reasonable fashion and make it like a lot more approachable for viewers where you can talk about, you know, whose turn it is, what they're thinking about, who has priority. You see this kind of happen with like the playing with power videos where they go back and narrate the whole thing to make it like a lot more approachable from a viewer standpoint. And that, I think that does go a long way. And I think if you can translate that um, through filter through commentators somehow, I think that can make a big difference for CDH and uh, coverage as being watchable. But of course you need like whatever the budget or at least people willing to be commentators. Uh, and that that's uh, tough enough on its own right. So I don't really know what the solution is, but um, it is something that like I, I had thought about. And that's that, you know, obviously lower win rates means it's harder to display consistency and it's harder to, to sell people on their consistency as being talented players you know, in, in the abstract, no matter really what other people think, it's just like, you know, kind of numbers don't lie situation, but that's harder to do when the win rates are so much lower. But maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe like where we normally put a lot of emphasis on top eight, which is like kind of generically abstract when you think about it. It's just like, okay, the, the top eight player is the one that matched the uh, ninth. Uh, sorry, you're, you're a full tier lower. It's like more or less fairly arbitrary, but like maybe just expanding that to like top 16 yeah, makes it a lot more approachable and makes it a lot more meaningful. Yeah, I think when the win rates are lower, I think that's just what's like, see who's consistently topping these events, who's consistently getting those three wins out of five or, you know, whatever it takes to make top 16. So I think that's where you can really see the consistency because you might not win every tournament just because, you know, that's just not feasible. Like there's no way there's going to be one player that just wins everything. Yeah. But if you see that these people are consistently making the top 16 or whatever the breakout is, I think that's where a lot of useful insight can be and like, see like, okay, like clearly they're doing something that works because in the format where, 25 to 30% win rate is viewed as like amazing. They're able to play this game for an entire day and still consistently be in the top group of players. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that, uh, I think that's a more than enough coverage of that particular issue. I don't like, once again, I think that's another issue that's not that big. It's just one of my reservations. So I appreciate you talking through that with me. Next up is card availability. And now this is one that comes up every single time there is a CDH tournament. It's always, what is, you know, the first question out to your mouth is, what is the proxy policy or whatever, you know? Because, I mean, decks in CDH are not cheap. They they remind me of uh, vintage decks a few years ago when I was looking at vintage prices and I was like, wow, look, every deck's like 16K. That, that's just like true for CDH. Like decks just regularly cost over 20k if you're you know in blue black x colors and you know a part of that's big big costed cards like you know imperial seal and uh, especially cards like time twister like the dual lands like stuff like that but i mean even just like a bunch of like 50 to 80 color a car a dollar card per jesus i'm sorry 50 to 80 dollar per card cards like dockside or uh i mean i don't even know just 
all the fast mana. The fast mana stuff. Chrome yeah, Mox Diamond. Opal, Chrome Mox. Yeah, these cards are going up in price because of CDH. Like, they're not really played basically anywhere else. <laughs> and, like, you know, all those cards, like, those are still extremely expensive for people to approach. And, like, even doing, like, part proxy, like, I know, you know, Marchesa has a proxy policy in place. I think it's, like, reserve list, which goes a long way. I think that gets a lot of players that are interested and have been buying cards into the format. But there are plenty of people out there that have only proxy decks, and, you know, they they can't play in the event, and that's not always true for CEDH pots. Like, CDH pods in general are extremely proxy-friendly, you know, and that includes, you know, even the wacky arts that you can get from various sites and stuff that aren't even the art for the actual card, and, you know, this kind of transitions itself very naturally into some alters conversation, but specifically for proxies, you know, what is your proxy policy? And I think it's kind of up to the tournament organizer to have the proxies themselves to give out because otherwise you have to inspect everybody's proxies. Now that, that has happened before. That's precedented. We've seen cards like Nexus of Fate be so warped and only come in foil that like, you know, judges have to issue like swamps with the card Nexus, like with the words Nexus of Fate written on it and the signature from the judge. That way it's like uh, an official proxy for that card. But, like, it's been really, really small in, like, 1v1 tournaments. Like, and even then, it's still been extremely controversial. It's just like, okay, uh, I thought sees this player. They have a swamp in their hand, but it's not a swamp. It says Nexus of Fate on it. So now I need to know that's a Nexus of Fate. It's just terrible for coverage. It's goofy looking. It's kind of embarrassing. And, like, you know, what happens when a bunch of players show up with proxies, which are, you know, super high quality, bought from the internet, and some are, okay, like, my black and white printer in my backyard, like... You have to kind of determine a like dividing line between what's acceptable and not acceptable for proxies. And on top of deciding how how far you're gonna let people go, is there like a price point? Is it like reserve list only? Like you have to find an arbitrary line to cut proxies off if you're not gonna allow full proxy. And then when you start allowing proxies, you have to, you know, assess the quality of those proxies next to each other. And that's just like an extremely tedious process. Yeah, so that has obviously been the issue with Monarch and something that a lot of people like to complain about. Because even though we are allowing a lot of proxies, people are like, this is still inaccessible, blah, blah, blah. Those people, I all I can say is like, sorry, but at the end of the day, it's still a competitive card game. Like, you know, Yeah, I mean, uh, tournaments uh, to play not, in any tournament, yeah. you need to own the cards. Like, that's nothing new. Like, yeah, like if you're going to go play a lot of ex- anything. Yeah, we're making a lot of exceptions for CDH because we know, like, the culture of it. But, like, if you try to show up to a legacy tour and then complain to the head judge or the TO that you can't play with proxy duels they'll just laugh at you like yeah they're just like i'm sorry that's just you know to have a sanctioned event you have to have all real cards and i mean i've seen plenty of local legacy events that allow proxies for reserve list as well like it's certainly precedented for 1v1 tournaments this is an issue that is more or less ongoing with these far-reaching eternal formats that are getting more and more expensive by the year but it is still something that especially because cdh is so so pro proxy which it should be I think every format should be pro-proxy. If you are not specifically sanctioned by Wizards, I think you should have some kind of proxy policy in place if you're an eternal format because uh, it just increases the interest in your event like uh, by quite a bit. It allows players to play where they otherwise might not be able to. And it just keeps your format alive. You know, it keeps people interested. It keeps people playing. Even if, you know, they're never going to be able to buy a time twister. Like, that that should be completely fine. Um, so it's, it's a weird line to draw. Yeah, uh, to go back to some of your other questions, the way that we're doing it is we have a survey that's going out. It has the list of all the playtest cards that are allowed. You check your boxes and tell us what you need. 
and then we're providing all of them. So that's something that we've worked on to commission original art for them, because obviously we can't be giving out stuff that looks just like the actual card. So it's like original art on the cards. It all has the card clearly written. It's still in the same form as a magic card. You know, mayor cost in the top corner, text, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, but it's still a lot of work because we need to get all this original art. We need to put together basically the way it's going to work is when you sign up, come in for registration. When we check you in, we'll have like an envelope with your name on it and be like, okay, here are your play test cards. At the end of the event, you need to return them because we also can't like endorse and just giving out cards for free because that's just not allowed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like that they need to return them. So it is going to be like a whole process. This is something that Nick's dealt with at Tier 1 Con when he helped run that event and he said it wasn't an issue. But it is definitely, it's just something that's more work on our end. Sure. Um, and that's, we'll that's cool to see, you know, not every TO is going to be as prepared as you. And so this is like still a challenge that these, and that's why I really don't want to call them problems. They're just like challenges that come with CEDH tournaments and, you know, TOs kind of have to have a plan for. And, you know, if you are looking to go to some local-ish, you know, whatever, I had a CEDH FNM I attended once. Like these are kind of, these are the kinds of things you need to be looking out for. These are the kinds of questions you need to be asking because if these aren't addressed, it could be a really big problem. And it, it sounds like y'all have a really elegant solution at Marchesa. I really like what Nick has come up with. I think it covers a lot of the bases. It doesn't cover every card, but, you know, these are all concessions we have to make because at the end of the day, what venues are going to be wanting to host us for a cheap price? And a lot of times it's card shops. Exactly. And, and they need to sell card cards. Shops want people, yeah, they exactly. need to sell cards. So it's like, in order to make a lot of concessions and being able to actually afford to run the event, these are the types of things we need to do. And also on the note of like different arts and things, this is something that Libby's been dealing with a lot and... I, I stress it to him a lot of time, several times. I was like, CDH players love alters for their deck. They love using different arts. They love getting different commissions. Um, I don't know how popular it is in 1v1 forums, but from my understanding, it's not nearly as popular as it is for CDH to have like alters and everything like that. Yeah, definitely not. And alters, I mean, they do have an official policy. Like, it's a little more popular in Legacy. I had a good friend of mine that had, like, he, he wasn't into foils, so he got, like, his deck, like, all altered. And now, the, there's a pretty strict alter policy with playing in tournaments where, like, you still need to be recognized as the card. Like, you know, a lot of times if there's a question, like, judges will, like, call another judge over and, like, flash the card to him and be like, what card is this? And if they can't say it, like if they get it wrong or whatever, they'll be like, yeah, this is probably not acceptable. Like it needs to be identifiable as the card still. Like you need to preserve like the text box or whatever. Like there's a bunch of rules that you can like look up online for 1v1 tournaments for, for alters that they have to follow. And, um, I've seen actually some, pro some proxies get rejected or proxies, some alters get rejected that I think were completely within bounds. So like a lot of times with alters, like the best policy is to go up to the head judge and ask, be like, Hey, I'm playing with alter cards today. Are these okay? And I've seen situations where all of it was okay. I've seen situations with the exact same cards where, you know, s only some of it was okay. And the rest of them, you know, he's like, all right, you're gonna have to play with like a different version. Cause this is not, this is not acceptable. And it's funny to me now with all of the secret layer stuff that's coming out that looks just like mm -hmm. so different from actual magic cards. And this is a conversation that has also come up where it's like, all right, a bunch of these secret layer cards are so much harder to identify than uh, like alters would be. And like, especially the alters that are in question that I'm referring to here, like are so much more in bounds than some of these secret layer stuff that's come out that looks nothing like a magic card. You know, it's so difficult to figure out what it actually is, but because it's like a wizard's official thing, it's consistent across the board. I mean, I get it, I guess, but it, to me, I think alter, I think the alter policy was actually too strict in 1v1. That's kind of where my personal opinion falls for that reason is like, if wizards is going to go out of their way to make all this like goofy secret layer stuff that looks nothing like magic cards, then like, 
how are you going to crack down on people that, you know, whatever, extended the art a little bit and maybe covered some of the, the mana cost or something? You know, like, h- how is that going to happen? But yeah, I, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Like, I literally <laughs> just pulled up, like, this gamble that I have, which it's, like, from, like, the rock art ones. And it's, like, it doesn't look anything like a magic card. Like, if it was just, like, showing someone blind that's been playing magic for years, they may not even recognize it as, like, a legal card. So I definitely agree with that. But the way we're handling proc, or not proxies, alters is, yeah, um, Libby's been taking emails if you have them in your deck, and he's reviewing them, letting you know what's allowed, what's not. And so he's he's been doing a lot of work on that because I was like, yo, this is something you really need to emphasize because I guarantee you there's going to be a lot more than at the average like legacy or modern event just because so many people play with them. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. Like you said, I, I'm positive they're more popular in in Commander than they are anywhere else because of course you know you only need one in in. 1v1 formats, a lot of times you need like four copies of a thing altered if you're going to get some alters. So like that uh, tends to like turn off people to alters more often than not. They do still come up, like I said, especially in like uh legacy tournaments where it's an eternal format. They've been playing with the cards forever and maybe they don't like foils or they don't come in foils. So people will get stuff altered and, you know, like power nine and vintage. I've seen plenty of altered ones as a way of restoration. Uh, You know, the, you, you buy some beat up power. It's like super beat up. And instead of just like keeping it beat up, you like alter it. Um, and that way it like does a lot to cover up the, the damage while giving it like new art, making it look pretty and all that stuff. So in, in eternal formats, it's a lot more popular. Nobody goes out and alters their standard deck. You know, there's basically not existent there. So, but there is still like a really strict policy that I think still leaves it open to the head judge. And in general, I think head judges in one v one formats were too strict based on the kind of stuff that's coming out of the secret layers. But I, I do think your policy is good where it's like, all right, look, if you have alters, ahead of the time you need to send scans or whatever make sure these cards are recognizable because board states in cdh are more complex than anywhere else like there's just so much stuff going on there's a lot of relevant factors all of which impact timing and you know casting costs and all this kind of stuff if you can't look at the board state and parse it then there's a real problem and that's going to impose things like a huge tax on how long turns take which you know of course affects the entire tournament it's going to cause people to misplay and they're going to be salty because they didn't recognize this goofy art of this card like I think it's definitely something that needs to be addressed, and I do like that you bring that up, that it's like, all right, alters are, you know, going to be more common here. We need to make sure that we have these all kind of at least looked at by somebody before they're approved. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense to me. The last little little tidbit I want to make is kind of a, a caution. It has nothing to do with Marchesa. This has to do with webcam tournaments like the ones you've mentioned. Um, and this is a big concern of mine when it comes to webcam tournaments. So in 1v1 tournaments, you know, you're looking directly at your opponent the whole time. You're playing Magic. A lot of times, I mean, you're still looking at the board state and stuff, but like you're stand, you're like literally right in front of your opponent. And still there's been consistent cheaters across the ages. You know, it is possible to get away with cheating. Not every pro cheats or whatever. Like that's ridiculous. That's complete nonsense. But there are some cheaters out there. They do usually get caught, especially over time because, you know, things get a little sus. But, you know... It is a problem in any kind of paper event that doesn't have like a, an online client enforcing rules. Now, online clients come with their own problems that we're not going to discuss in this. But whenever you're playing a, a tournament where the players that are playing the game need to be the ones enforcing the rules, it's possible to cheat. And when it comes to webcam tournaments, I am a little uncomfortable because I think it be, gets a little too easy to cheat. Things like false cuts that make it look like you're shuffling. Things like 
you know, whatever. What if you have technology issues? Like your internet goes out and then you come back. Well, maybe it was innocent. Maybe it wasn't. What's the fix that prevents people from just like, oh, sorry, my internet flickered and I froze for a second and they just like quickly switch out their entire hand or whatever. You know, like there's, if there's stuff that I can come up with off the top of my head, I, you know, I obviously don't cheat. It's not something I do, but like, you know, I've seen some of the cheats that people do when it comes to like sleight of hand with deck manipulation or palming sevens. All this stuff seems extremely easy to do by just simply adjusting your camera angle or whatever. Even if you're, you know, there's policies in place to keep you, make sure that you keep your hands on the table. That's not to say that, you know, that doesn't stop cheating at all, really. Like, I think that does very little. So, like, for me, if I'm playing a high stakes tournament, I cannot, I do not see a universe where I would play it over a webcam. And that's before you even get into the problem where, like, there's so many more players that, like, you can actually distract someone, distract the whole team being, like, pointing at something or talking about something while you're, you know, the typical magician's trick. Like, distract the audience and then do your, whatever, your sleight of hand over here. So, like, you're, like, talking about something, you point to something, the whole table's looking where you're pointing, and then you, you know, pull a card out of your lap or something. You know, it's, I take a lot of issue with the potential for cheating in webcam tournaments especially when, you know, you can't have a judge or somebody that's a third party that's just watching the game play out from an objective third-party standpoint in every single call for every single tournament. And so it is kind of wild to me that webcam tournaments have been, honestly, as, success, as successful as they have been, given, in my opinion, the potential for cheating. And I'm kind of concerned that if you raise the stakes more and more, like you make it more top heavy payout and you increase the payout and that way like you incentivize cheating more and more that it's going to become like a really big issue in the the cdh webcam sphere do you have any kind of thoughts on that yeah um i'm with you like when webcam torrents were popular like i had a lot of people telling me like oh like you should compete blah 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 like we think you might do well or like you would enjoy it and i was just like i will absolutely never play any competitive game through webcam um, for all the things that you mentioned like cheating is just Way too easy to do. There might be fail safes into play, but nothing stopping you just from having like a breach adnaz, counter spells, whatever, like in a little pile to the side, and palming one, picking up your hand, now all of a sudden that card's in your hand. Like there's just so many little things that can just happen just because you're not you can't see this entire person's play space. Oh, I'm yeah. definitely with you that this has been issues that have come up in recent tournaments. Like for instance, I played with power, you caught one person who was cheating, and um the play EDH tournament, I think there was like three or four cheaters that were called out, and two of which happened in top 16 is when they realized it. Yeah. Those people had to play like three-person pods. And it's just, really is no solution to it. And I think now that the stakes are getting high for CDH tournaments, because when they first started out, like the stakes were definitely much lower, and it was a much smaller format. Now it's growing a lot more popularity, especially from the pandemic. I, I think we're going to start to see uh, like the just the overall like decline of them. Mm-hmm. And like Marchesa used to run a lot of online tournaments. This was before I was involved with the organization, but at this point, like we've made it it, it, I don't think we've said anything like publicly, but like internally, we're like we don't really have any interest to keep doing this. It's like now things aren't on lockdown. Like we much rather make the push to do things in person just to avoid all these issues, like tech issues, cheating. Like there's so many things that just don't happen in person. And we might do online tournaments again, but I, it, it, I'm still like I'm going to be staying involved with it as like a TO, and like I'm definitely going to be trying to shy away from them just because it's just an issue and I, there is no way to fix it. Yeah, my suggestion for that is to make the the prize support really flat. I think if you, like, make really flat prize support to where, like, there's not as much on the line for any given pod where someone would be like, all right, this pod I should cheat, like, even though I haven't been, like, all that kind of stuff. I think you can do a lot to mitigate it by just, like, lowering the stakes or flattening the payout and all that kind of stuff. 
um, to make it keep it a little bit more casual, make sure that you know people are still getting something even if they lose, just to really disincentivize cheating. I don't think you know whatever two people on a podcast are certainly not going to solve cheating in a card game, but I think. There are some things that you can do to kind of help mitigate that. But I do agree that, I mean, the best part of Magic is always going to be the gathering. So I think we should be encouraging in-person events anyway. But I also think that, like, as far as cheating goes, it's still very much possible. I mean, like I said, it happens at 1v1 tournaments. I promise that it will happen. It will. This is not a maybe. It will happen to some degree in in in-person CDH tournaments. But that is why it is important to be vigilant. You know, you you obviously want to be friendly. You know, CDH community is great. They really are. They're super friendly people and they're awesome to be around. And it's easily my favorite subsection of the magic community I've ever interacted with. But if you're playing a high stakes tournament, you need to act like it. And, you know, you need to be watching people. You need to be making sure you're checking their plays, making sure, you know, if they're doing anything suspicious, like whatever, like just keep an eye on it. And, uh, you know what? It's, it's, it's okay to call judges. There's kind of a stigma in 1v1 tournament where if you call a judge on something, even if it's small, like you, you're accusing this player of being a cheater and that has nothing to do with it because cheaters get to exist by that social pressure of kind of making people feel bad about calling judges. You can't do that. If, if somebody's doing something sus or somebody is misrepresenting something or even just cast a spell when it wasn't legal, you should call a judge and give them a warning because that kind of stuff needs to be tracked if you're going to catch cheaters. Like the cheaters, they tend to be usually a pretty good at magic despite cheating. Like it's not the people that just suck a ton that are good at cheating. The pe- the players that are good and cheat, like are the ones that actually make it. You know, those are the people that that uh, are become infamous. And a lot of times they are good on good at magic in their own right. They just also cheat to give them that extra boost. And if you're not tracking this kind of stuff when it happens. You know, they may be charismatic enough to make you feel bad about calling a judge and, oh, ha ha, it's no big deal. Like, it's a big problem in 1v1 that, that people don't call enough judges on whatever little mistakes and stuff because it feels like you're making a jerk move. It feels like you're being a complete, you know, dick to your opponent. It's like, that was so small. I literally messed up. Like, why are you calling a judge just to give me a warning? Wow, this person's such a, you know, such a jerk. But that's just not the case. Like, you have to do that kind of stuff if you want to catch cheaters. And by accusing your opponent of being a jerk for calling a judge on you, you are actually helping the, the cheaters. And that's something not a lot of people understand. And I think, you know, CDH is going to have that issue as well. That's just part of, I think, in-person magic tournaments. There's not really a way around it. But for those of you, you know, I, I know not, in fact, probably very few players that are playing CDH actually hail from 1v1 tournaments. Like I know you didn't come from 1v1 tournaments. So I'm willing to gamble. There's a lot of people that play CDH tournaments that have not come from 1v1 tournaments and seeing the issues there. And this is kind of like, you know, whatever, a call out. This is like your opportunity to not make the same mistakes that we make consistently even today in 1v1 tournaments in CDH setting as well. Like if you're playing for a lot of money, you need to act like it. And you're not a jerk for calling a judge your opponent that did something, whatever, accidental, sketchy, whatever, what have you. You need to get some of this stuff tracked or the judges don't know who's cheating because, you know, whenever they, something happens and you're like, wow, this person's been doing it a lot. And the judge is like, wow, that's the first I've heard of it. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Now, this is the first the judge has heard of it. And it's happened three or four times. Then there's nothing that judge can do reasonably. Like, even if you've seen it happen, if you never reported it, then, you know, the judge has nothing. They've just seen it happen that first time. And maybe that person cuts it out for the rest of the tournament, even though they got away with it, you know, X times. It's, it's a long tirade to say, please don't make the same mistakes that the 1v1 tournaments do. Make sure to call judges. Don't feel bad about calling judges. Cut your opponent's decks. Like, 
act like you're playing for whatever amount of money you're playing for. This I realize you're there to have a good time. And if you enjoy playing Magic at a high level, you should have a good time despite that. Just show up, play Magic. And, you know, if, if people want to get on your case, make sure you understand you're there to act like you're you're there to win money. You're there to 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 win some money. If you want to hang out after and go get some drinks, let's let's go. But like while we're in a match, it's it's game time. Like it's time to to get it done. We're we're clocking in, punching in, here to win some money. And that that matters a lot when you're playing for some really high stakes. Yeah. All, all I have to really add to that is cut your cut your opponent's decks. <laughs> please, please cut your Just do it. Decks. It is such an easy thing and it mitigates so much cheating that can happen. Like I'm not saying it's the perfect solution to everything, but like I unironically think that almost all cheating would go away if you simply cut your opponent's deck and and called judges when you should. I think if 1v1 tournaments called judges on things that were like even small things and cut their opponent's decks, almost all cheating would be eradicated entirely. Obviously, there's some other stuff that exists in the cracks or whatever, but the lion's share of cheating, I think, would be prevented by just like doing those things. And I really would like to see... The, the culture of CDH encourage that kind of stuff, but I'm really scared it won't, especially because CDH is kind of such a social uh, format where you're, you know, you're encouraged to like get your opponents to like you. So calling a judge isn't very, uh, isn't a very bro thing to do. So like, I'm really worried it's going to be a big problem. And obviously not everybody in the world listens to this podcast, but if you do, you listen to this podcast, you're playing on tending more chase, playing with power, whatever, any of these conventions, any of these big events, please, Please understand that it is important you call judges and it's important you cut your opponent's decks. So, all this talk about Marchesa, I think this is uh, kind of the opportunity for you to to talk about the tournament a little bit. What's uh, what's going on this weekend? Tell me about it. Yeah, so Marchesa, we're doing um, 100-plus person in-person in CEDH events. going to be at Mox Boarding House in Bellevue, um, which is over in Washington State. And it's going to be a good time. It's going to be... One of the, it's going to be the first CDH event of this size in the U.S. At least I know Tier One Con had one that's similar size. I don't know which one's bigger or not. Not really important, but like it'll be like the first one on U.S. soil, which is like this big and has this many people coming out from all over. Like we even have um like our friend Takato, he's coming all the way from Hawaii, so that's really exciting. Wow. Um, and yeah, and as Drake and I talked, like all these things are on top of mind as me and as like a head TO, and it's a lot of these things I brought up to the head judge for things to look out for. Like for instance, Drake mentioned foil curling a little bit earlier. I told him, I was like, if you're doing deck checks, check those op agents and check right. those uh, jewel lotuses. They are cards that are very commonly so run, warped. and Commander Legends foiling was notoriously bad. And he's like, yep. cool, thank you. Like, I have mine in perfect uh, fit uh, hards for that reason. I have foils of both of those from Commander Legends, and uh, yeah, they are in perfect fit hards, and I do my best to, to flatten it out. And of course, a lot of the rest of the deck is foil. I'm not going to just play those as the only foils. That's when things start to get a little sus, too. Yeah, exactly. So I've been doing my best just to see like all these things that I've noticed and online tournaments and just things that i know about like for instance like he's not big in a ch and jeweled list isn't a card in other formats but that is one that has a lot of foil occurring and it's also a card people want to see early so i was like if you're doing a deck check check the, that card for curling. like little oh, yeah. things like that Absolutely. but definitely and very on top of all these things we already talked about our proxy policy so we are doing our best to make it accessible while still being in parameters with what like wizards would allow as well as the card shop that we're going to be at but it's a good time and also we're always looking for feedback so like if you think that there's something that we're doing that isn't correct then like let us know like the round times we don't have a perfect answer for it like we're trying thing here and we're going to see how it goes like if we think it needs to be longer then we'll go from there but like we're definitely very open to feedback um the only types of conversations i don't really appreciate at this point are when people are like why isn't it completely proxy friendly like i 
Yeah, come on. Like, uh, uh, sorry. Like, no event out there, honestly. Like, to, to be honest, I get it. CDH is full proxy friendly, as it should be. But when it comes to tournaments, like, if you want shops to run tournaments, you want there to be tournaments at all. People need to be buying cards because, I mean, that's what drives Star City tournaments. Like, Star City doesn't make that much money on the tournaments. They make money from the people going to that vendor booth, buying cards, selling cards, all that. Like, you, there needs to be card churn for this system to work. I'm sorry, you're going to have to buy some of the cards to play the game. That's That sucks, I understand. And you know what? It's only if you want to compete. You don't have to actually own the cards if you want to just play, you know, whatever, spell table games. And even some tournaments, I think, might allow you to have full proxy. Whatever, I don't actually know. But for the most part, just plan for it. If you're going to play tournaments, you're going to have to own cards. That's it. If you want to play at the highest level, you're going to have to own the cards. That's That sucks. You may ha- you Maybe you have to borrow them from your friends or something. I don't know. You can figure it out, but that's just the way it is. It's the way it's always going to be. That sucks, and I'm sorry I hate it for you, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. You're not priced out of playing the format entirely. You just can't play tournaments that uh, don't have proxy or whatever. It's not perfect. I admit I'm not saying it's perfect, but, like, any other feedback, totally all ears. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, if, you, really any, if anybody, any of the listeners have other things that they're concerned about, you know, feel free. Add us on Twitter, at the miscast and TG. You can come complain. Of course, you can reach out, you know, to, to Mikey's. I, don't, I think, what do you, you have people now, right? That's what you've been saying at the end of all the episodes where you have a, you have a, a secretary. Yeah. How's my secretary? <laughs> How's your secretary? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't have a secretary. So you can at me on Twitter too, <laughs> at viral underscore Drake. You can reach out to us. Let us know what you guys think. Um, if, if there's any other concerns you have, if you, whether or not you have 1v1 background or not, you know, I think there's a lot more discussion that needs to be ha- had regarding CDH tournaments. Like you said, we're still iterating on it. We're still figuring out, you know, what is the appropriate round time? You know, how should we handle certain things? And I think you're doing an awesome job, Mikey, of, you know, taking a lot of the, the feedback I've given you in the short time I've, you know, known you and been able to interact with you and have my, have my influence over you coming from other tournaments and kind of explain some of the problems. Uh, and trials that 1v1 tournaments have faced across their, whatever, 25, almost 30 year history and how that can port to CEDH to kind of shortcut a lot of the, a lot of the BS and a lot of the issues that come about. So I think, I think you're doing a good job being receptive of that and implementing it and making judges aware of it. And I, I think that's awesome. That's why I'm really excited to have you. Uh, be the TO of a lot of these events. I'm going to try to get this episode out with plenty of time for people to listen before my chase actually starts. Um, and, like I said, I, I'm really excited that you're running these events and you're keeping these things in mind and you're actively kind of working against some of this stuff because they, they are real concerns of mine. And certainly if I was going to play any event, I would definitely want it to be TO'd by you. So that way, you know, I, I feel a lot more comfortable that a lot of my my concerns are heard and addressed. And like I said, if anybody else has any other concerns, you know, like I said, Mikey TO's a lot of events. You you want him to see stuff at at the miscast, at, you know, whatever, Mikey Hollihan or Hellenium or at viral underscore Drake, you know, reach out to us on Twitter. Um, find us and interact with us. That is where we do a lot of our conversations. It's where a lot of the CDH community exists. So, you know, you want to talk to us, reach, reach out to us on Twitter for sure. I think that's about it. Is there anything else you want to add on uh, challenges you've, you've experienced with tournaments before we, uh, we close this whole thing down? I think everything was covered. Um, we're still working on things, open to feedback, and I hope one who's listening that's going to Marchesa, I hope you enjoy the experience and be sure to say hello. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely come find Mikey if you're at the Marchesa event. He's uh, he doesn't bite often. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, in person, you, you can actually talk to him directly. You don't have to actually talk to Hal first. So I'll, I'll stand out. I'll have a I'll have my blonde hair and a blazer. So you can find me at events. That's, that's and my some kind of fancy card. watch, I imagine, too. 
Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> Got gotta keep that thing on you. You should be like uh like one of those people you see in like the movies where you just like open your coat up and it's like you wanna buy a watch, you should have all the fancy watches that it's like <laughs> From the movie Hercules, Wampa. Yeah, 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 yeah. There it is. There it is. I was trying to figure out what the reference is from, but uh, yeah, no, you got it. You got it. All right. Well, <laughs> that, that's that's going to do it for us. I appreciate you talking about this with me. If you want to reach out to me, of course, find me on Twitter at viral underscore Drake. The podcast exists there on Twitter as well, and you should be able to find this podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. As always, the offer stands. That if it's not somewhere, please let me know. If you listen to your podcast on some platform where you, you know, can't hear this episode regularly, or you know, it doesn't exist, you'd prefer to listen to it on another platform. Let me know. I can try to get it set up on that platform or whatever. I, I do not mind trying to figure that out. But as a general rule, I think the Anchor does a good job getting the podcast uh, spread out to all the different platforms that you listen to podcasts on. So find us on any platform you listen to your podcasts. Mikey, where can they find you outside of Marchesa? Um, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, what, what even is my handle? That's a good question. It's just like Mikey just at, Yeah, it's just at Mikey Hollihan. Somehow I was able to get that. Wild. But what? yeah, um... Well, like I said, please just bother Hal. He, he's not doing well as my secretary recently, so, you know. Poor secretary pester. service. Unbelievable. Just, just just pester him, and he'll get you in contact with me. Or, you know, if you're not worth my time, he'll also let you know that. So that, that is something that might happen. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> for those of you playing in Marchesa, good luck to Mikey. Safe travels. And we will see you all next week.